So, Dr. Beth McCharles, welcome. Thank Old you. Old friend from Cape Breton. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, mental performance coach, sports psychologist, amongst everything else that you're working on. <laughs> tell me how. Tell me how you got here. We, we, you know, let's, you know what. Let's go back. Let's start off. We both grew up in Cape Breton. Woohoo! And shout out. Um, <laughs> how did growing up in Cape Breton? How did growing up in a small community on the East Coast affect you and who you are today? And to, to get you where you are today. Let's start there. Yeah, I think it's everything. Um, I romanticize about Cape Breton all the time. I love it. It's my home. Um, I feel passionate about the place and the people. Uh, we grew up in an environment where people supported people. Um, and it was a little naive when we grew up where we didn't really fully know back then what was out in this big world in, in the city. And I think that was that allowed me to stay in the moment in the process and not compare to what's out there, but really stay on track to my passions and what I loved. And that was really always movement, as you know. And, and growing up in Cape Breton, I love sports, everything that allowed me to move basketball. I was, I was, ju I was just saying, I remember, I remember <laughs> Beth in high school. I always remember she always had a smile on. You could always hear her coming, being friendly, that is. And always had a soccer uniform on. A pair of umber shorts and a pair of cleats over her shoulders. <laughs> totally. Oh my goodness. My backpack, right? Yeah. Um, I think one of the only times I got in trouble, not going in too depth there, but like I was trying to rollerblade in the hallways, I think, in, in high school at one point. Um, but movement was my passion. I think in a small town, I was able to grow up with an amazing group of girls and women and grow up with them. And they were my best friends from grade three all the way till high school. And we played every sport together. And we had success. We were that like blue collar, hardworking team that would beat those city folks. And I just, yeah, I just think about everybody. Like, like everybody's on the, so on the played soccer. Totally. Like your whole group. Yeah. 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 And like some of us, some of them played hockey with me and some of them played basketball with me and some played soccer. But as a whole group, we kind of grew up together. And I was like, you know, talk about resilience. I was 5'3", and my next tallest girlfriend was 5'8", and then they went 5'9", 6 feet, 6 feet. So there's about eight of us, and there was little old me and these, these big, awesome athletes around me. Um, and, and we all support each other. So that was a real part of that peer group and you know, competitive, but also supportive, supportive, which I think is, is such a great environment to grow up in. And Cape Breton, in a whole, we, the guys were our friends too. Um, we had such an amazing group. Um, and, you know, you got your name in small town paper once and you feel pretty good about yourself, right? The good old Cape Breton Post and you see your stats. Or... As long as it wasn't Frank's magazine. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, and I think that allowed your confidence to build. If you have these small little masteries within your your sporting career, your academic career, or whatnot, then it builds confidence within this small town. So, really, I owe Cape Breton to so much of 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 what I've done and 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 being able to give back to the communities around me. So it's a big change to go from Cape Breton. Like obviously, I went through it as well to come from Cape Breton to big city Toronto. How, how do you think growing up in that region set you up for dealing with the busyness, the vibrancy of Toronto? Yeah, I mean, 
what a transition <laughs> for me. I, w- I was able to build a little bit. So I went to Halifax. I was able to um, train there in the summers because I was getting really competitive into soccer. Um, so I, I got a little bit of city life there. And then I did my um, master's and I played some more in Ottawa. So I started moving away from home a little bit gradually. And then I moved to the city um, to pick a huge leap to do my doctor, but also at a young age to coach our, our U of T's women's soccer team. And it took me a long time. Being very fair, it took me a long time to really um, understand the, the cultures and the, um, the different people and the personality. And I mean, I remember moving to the city and I started walking with a new friend and I'm like, why are you rushing? Where are we going? Why are you walking so fast? And I couldn't believe just the pace of everything. And it's great because I'm a high drive kind of individual, but also it took me some time to transition. You're very very social. So did you find yourself sticking to your your sporting community when you were here or did you branch out? Totally. I was lucky. I had an academic community and and a soccer community. And yeah, they were, and I had some family here, which was great. My sister was living here. Um, and my brothers. So I had little bits of community, but I remember I lived, you know, a 57 walk to U of T and I walked every day instead of driving or taking the TTC. It took me some time, but um, definitely learned a lot for sure. So you played competitive sports, moved into coaching. Uh, Let's, let's back up then. Let's tell tell us about uh, your, your transition from playing competitive sports, mm-hmm. where, you, where you played, and then mm-hmm. uh, how you got into coaching. Yeah, so uh, I went to St. of X, East Coast, small town, played soccer and hockey there, loved my experience. I love that university. I'm very passionate about um, everything St. of X. Um, where's, yeah. your X, where's your X ring? I know, I don't have, don't have it on right <laughs> now. Um, but I was a late bloomer in sport, and I think that's a really par- important part of my story because I failed a freaking lot when I was younger. I didn't make the – my friends were making teams, and I got cut, and that's really also part of what shaped me because um, I really had to work hard to, to become the athlete that I was able to become later in life. And that late blooming of an athlete really, I think, helped shape um, so I really began beca- becoming like a true athlete, probably late high school, university, training, competing, getting better, understanding my weaknesses and my gaps and, as an athlete. And, you know, I remember um, someone cut me in the summer. Love this guy. Love this coach. He ended up being one of our national team coaches. And he wanted me to play for the university against him and or for him and I end up playing against him and I remember I, I let four goals that year in in I think it was 14 games and I was really really proud of myself I'm like yeah yeah you cut me and I'll show you and that was kind of part of my journey of like you know love and acceptance through everybody who was allowed to develop and grow but also like Okay. I had to point out too. Yeah. Right? I know nothing about soccer. Yeah. Football. Do you call it fo- soccer? Soccer. Your soccer. Fine, your yeah. East Coast. But five foot three as a as a goalie. Yeah. That's a challenge. I was the shortest international goalie in the world at at, uh, at one point. 
So making a longer story short, I, you know, was able to play for our, our national team for a couple world games, um, went to Ottawa, played some more soccer, trained, 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 got a couple too many concussions, sport doctors like probably we need transition. Um, and I love coaching. I coached ever since I lived in Cape Breton and I refed and that's what I knew I wanted to do. So when I went to Ottawa, I took my master's in sports psychology, step one, coached some teams, played some soccer. And then my last international game was my, my, my last because I thought I had to throw up the cleats because too many knocks in the head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you finish your doctorate of psychology, sports psychology, mm -hmm. and you move into mental performance coaching right away, or did you work uh, clinic side of things first? How did you make that transition? Yeah, so when I went to U of T, um, you know, I was blessed. They, they believed in me at a young age. Um, so I coached the team for five years there, the women's soccer team, while I was doing my doctorate. So I had, again, a number of different hats, which Can't I go. loved. Have uh, to stay close to the field. Yeah, staying close to the field, staying close to movement. Um, had my own laboratories in front of me. Started After Ottawa U, I started my own practice. So I began to work with athletes in the mental performance realm. And then after five years coaching, my mentor went over to TM, which is TMU now, and she said, there's an open spot here, full-time mental performance consultant, first in, in Canada. So um, I jumped over and helped, you know, develop. I had some amazing people around. It was very, very fresh and new um, back then and was, was helping kind of grow that athletic, athletic department at the time. And, and doing mental performance consultant. So that kind of, from there, that was became my full-time job and had a side practice and then grew my private practice from there. I'm gonna to touch on this, I didn't plan to, but uh, you brought up um, having a mentor. And we discussed this in my last podcast with Michael Joward, CEO of Forbes. Um, how did you establish that mentor? How did you, how'd you build that relationship? How did that happen? I think it's. I think mentorship is uh, one of the most important things someone can do at a young age, and yeah. you know. So yeah. Oh, I think it's absolutely one of the most important. Um, I ask them. I think one one of my mentors, and I think it's important to have more than one, depending on different areas sure. that you want to learn from. And some mentors will have two or three year values, and you can learn and grow from there. Um, but one was a natural progression, and it just happened. I kept on asking, and um, yeah, they're like, of course, you know, I'm happy to do this. And I remember even one of my mentors read my whole, my whole dissertation for me and ripped it up to pieces, which was amazing. And the other one really helped me establish being a woman in sport um, and helped me deal with conflict resolution, which, again, as a young person, everyone needs to be able to... to learn and grow from there. Um, so yeah, I think the ask is really important. Agreed. Mental performance coach, obviously you're with a, having a doctorate in sports psychology and the background that you do. Um, you've been very focused on athletics and, and athletes and teams. How, I, I know you've transitioned over to working with executives and, and leaders in the, in the corporate world. How, how, do, how did you make that transition or how did that happen? And um, is it similar? Is it different? Yeah, there's so many um, areas that uh, transfer from one to the other. Um, building a team, culture, leadership, individual confidence, self-reflection, all these different components 
definitely transition from all performance areas. I love working with actors, musicians, anybody who absolutely loves what they're doing and wants to level up in the craft. And I think for me, if I can help them be that 1% better, um, become a little more self-aware, um, let go of the past a little bit so we can stay more in the present, if I can do that, that is, that is what's my passion for sure. So these, you know, I mean, you look at the executive world, you're dealing with the, you know, C-suite especially, right? You're, you can be dealing with some strong personalities and you can be dealing with some type A personalities. Uh, how, how, do you, what's your process for allowing them to kind of break down the barriers and, and allowing you in to, to engage in your process? A lot of people in these roles can be a little bit guarded and mm-hmm. a lot of belief in their own ability to deal with these <laughs> things, but I think we all know that we all need help, right? Yeah, and, you know, throwing it back, type A, it's thrown out a lot. And depending on how we define that and look at that and what what that is, that's where we go. But taking all that away, I love working with big personalities. I think, you know, as a mental performance consultant, I'm not fully there to be a yes person. I'm there to challenge and to be able to really find different angles of, of thinking and growth within um, within their craft, and I think that comes with challenging um, their way of thinking or the new way of doing. Um, and yeah, so those big personalities, I think, I think it's great. I think it's what drives them to be high performance, um, but bring them back a couple steps, really working on understanding the foundation of who they are, uh, going into the values and philosophies, all that good stuff. Um, and then working on these little tools, bringing in here and there to really help them level up in their performance. But the strong personalities are, I think that's what, what makes a team in a culture is we have so many different people and personalities and, and understanding without judgment, right? I think you opened a can of worms there. You, you <laughs> wanted to get into the type A and, and, and defining what that is. Um, what, what is it? Yeah, I think same as perfectionism, it's thrown out a lot. Is, it, is that a derogatory term? Is it or a, is that a, an insulting term? Is it or is it a compliment? No, I think I think people sometimes see, oh, I'm type A or I'm a perfectionist, as a compliment to who they are. And as a performance uh, consultant, I see perfectionism as something that holds us back. And when we can understand what a true perfectionist is, same as a true narcissist, like. That, that are th- those are things that actually hold our personalities back to become our best selves. It can be your own bottleneck. You can be bottlenecking yourself. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think if you, you do understand that and you are true perfectionism, what can we do to help you relieve that and work on what I call having high drive with flexibility? And I think that's the magic ingredient. If you're like highly driven to be better, you know what you're passionate about, but you can be adaptable and flexible in, and have courage in different areas. Yeah. I think perfectionism can be um, a positive to a point until it becomes debilitating. It becomes inefficient, right? You look at Steve Jobs talking about perfectionists, mm-hmm. right? He wanted the inside of the computer to look as beautiful as the outside of the computer. Mm-hmm. So like that's literally the definition But that may have held him back in some yeah, areas, probably. right? Maybe speed, that... Speed to market. Yeah. 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 It ended up working in the end, but you're right. Maybe 
maybe could have came out quicker or faster if it didn't, you know, we, we don't really know, but, but in my line of field and performance as a, as an athlete, that perfectionism holds us back. It like, if, there's this fear of failure. There's this, this fear of not doing good enough. And when you have that fear, you, you tend not to be um, courageous in taking the risk that you need to, um, to really level up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you find executives, executives reaching out for help from you or being forced into it by their corporation? <laughs> um, what do you find that they're most in need of from a service like yourself? It's, it is situational for sure. Um, but a lot of people, um, especially executives that reach out, um, tend to be in a little bit of a lull. Like they're not sure where to go next. Either they've been stationary status quo for some time and are a little bit stuck. Um, so we, we can help them in those areas of, of doing some self-reflection, self-work of how to get to the next or, or how to get out of that. Some people, it's, it's, you know, it's not all type A's where they have the schedule, wake, you know, the 5 a.m. club and wake up here and this, this, and this is what we do. And listen, it has a place and a purpose and, and it's good for some, but not all. Um, and I sometimes people think not worthy of because they don't do um, that schedule like everybody else. And I really do think a routine and schedule is important. Um, but some brains and some people have a harder time to activate that. And so some people come to see me like, okay, you need to get me organized. Um, I have an off season or, um, you know, I'm wasting so much time within the day. Can you help me with organizing that time management and that high performance thinking? It's really the excellence and discipline component of high performance. And so we talk about, like I mentioned earlier when we were talking and bundling, like how can you do two things at once? but also creating a more mindfulness approach to your work. Um, exercise, sleep, eating well, that's all part of the, the excellence component of high performance. So if we take, you know, high performance to me is not, you know, not jumping out right now ahead of things, but it's the ability to be adaptable, sustainable, and durable. And Usually people are reaching out to me is missing one of them, one or two of those components. And so I help them bring that component of a high performance mindset and hopefully make them more of a complete and leveled up performer. Can we, you intrigued me now, can we break those three down a little bit more? Sure, sure. Um, so the first one is this, the, the, the durability aspect. Let's go into that a little bit first, right? In order to be durable, in a performance, in a sport, or as a, as a CEO or whatnot, I believe that you need to know what your values are, what's your philosophy, what's your style, because we can have the same philosophy but deliver it in a different style, mm-hmm. and are you living to those three components? It's easy to write them down on paper and put them on your website. Yeah, easy to do that. But when you have a difficult decision, a really hard decision to make, can you look at those values and make that decision? And that will allow us to be more durable. My research um, was in, in coaching in my <clears throat> doctorate. And the coaches in their first five years 
of coaching coached like they were coached. More dictatorship style and more direct and no decision making and just like go here, do that and do this. When these coaches were able to find their own philosophy, their own values and coach to that, they had more durability in their sport or in their, in their career because they felt better. They felt that they were following their passion and their purpose more directly and true to who they are. And I think you just described Ted Lasso. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ted Lasso. Love, love, love. Um, and then we go to the second component, which is adaptability. Adaptability is, well, do you have courage? If you're in a rut, if you've been the same job and you're not getting out of anything out of it and you're not growing and people aren't respecting you, do you have the courage to leave that? Because that is scary. But do you have the courage to make that jump? If you have a smaller business and someone asks to take it over, do you have the courage to take the risk? Mm -hmm. Right? And you knew that at first hand. Like, do you have the courage to take that risk to, to build a new brand or do something different? Um, that's adaptability. People get complacent. They get comfortable. They get comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And... And going back to perfectionists, this is the area where if I had a perfectionist come in, we'd work the most. Like even a student, hand in the paper. Even if it's not perfect, it's okay. Hand, just hand it in. Get it in. Get it in, right? And yeah, don't be afraid of failure and taking risks. So that's adaptability. So I help people in that area to be able to be okay in that change management. Change. And the third one is sustainability. If you want to live a longer life, if you want to be proactive and do your career long, well, you need to be healthy. That wellness component of sleep, um, eating well, mindfulness, seeing your friends, having balance. Did I say exercise? I hope I said exercise. Exercise. Um, that's going to sustain us in what we want to do. If I was here talking about performance but didn't exercise, I'm not really also living my true self, no. right? No. Um, so that's broken down in a smaller scale of, of what I'm talking about. And, I, and high performance sometimes are lacking in those areas, so I try to help them yeah, navigate that. Okay. So you're working with competitive athletes, professional athletes. Um, you're working with executives. Um, what, what are some consistent traits you see across the board that makes a good leader, whether it be in the athletic world mm -hmm. or in the, in the corporate world? Mm -hmm. Some consistencies you see in, in these people? Yeah, it's um, beginner's mindset, the willingness to learn, I think is, is huge in leadership. Um, they know their values. They know um, how to create buy-in with the group around them. Um, they know who they are and where they want to go. And I believe the best leaders are people who are able to do that and really bring the best out in people. Um, but we have, a, we have an, you know, lots of egos in leadership. And we can have a high ego, maybe even a you know, narcissist is thrown out, like we said, a lot. Yeah. Um, but they can be high performers. 
but wouldn't we like to have leaders that have these amazing qualities that cares about me beyond my sport, cares about me beyond my career? And I think the less, best leaders can really pull that out. I'm sure you come across a lot of uh, egos, right? And, and we, I think we both know it. Switching seats in, talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> in, 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 the, in leadership roles, in the executive world, or even in the, in the athletic world, right? Checking your ego and, and taking some time for self-reflection is, is very important. How do you coach that? How do you how do you how do you teach that? Because it's hard for some people. It is hard. It's very hard. Everyone has ego, and ego helps drive us in sure. in our career, profession, parenting, whatever it may be. Um, but we see a lot out there. We could get into youth sport if you want to, but there's <laughs> there's a lot of egos in there. Um, but when we're talking about the professional world, it's about if I'm working with the person, it's about challenging that ego and helping understand that. The story I love the most is um, about the tools. And we're talking about mindfulness here. I love stories. Let's go. And <laughs> the tools, and one is a, the red wolf is about anger and jealousy and envy and fear and rage and then you have the blue wolf which is joy and loyalty and kindness and caring and um we all have both of them we all have these two wolves on us all the time these two different personalities and the story goes is which one is gonna win the fight win the battle well it's the one you're gonna feed yeah right and so if we can continuously feed um the kindness aspect and and caring about other people around us and communities, but also, you know, having that drive to be successful so we can give back to our communities and we can leave a legacy um, for, for our children or the people around us or leave the world even a better place. So I think that when we can feed those, that, that side of us, I, I think that's where, where high performance is. And... Yeah, so the, the, that is the ego, right? And when we can, it's, at the end of the day, it's all about self-awareness. So for me, helping people be self-aware that when they're making a decision, it's this decision you're basing it on ego, and is that really what you want right now? Um, yeah, self-reflection. I think it's uh, Warren Buffett that says, if you want to know where you're going, just take a look at the top five people you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. Right? So... Um, with, with that said, team building. Yeah, who are you taking we, on the bus? Who are you taking on the bus? Who are you taking on your bus, right? You know, if you, if you look at some of the difficulties in assembling team, like team building is a, is a, a it's, it's, it doesn't come easy. It takes a lot of work, right? Absolutely. You're, you're dealing with, uh, no matter what industry you're in, or sport, right? Even a bunch of different personalities and a bunch of different skill sets. What, what, do, you, what do you see is... Um, some of the issues in, in team building that executives uh, come to you about and, and discuss with you? Some issues? Well... Difficulties, and then how do they overcome them? Yeah, like there's a lot of things out there that like when we do in team building that we do without purpose. Like there's a team building event with lots of fun and fluff and excitement, um, and it has a purpose, but it's not necessarily bringing a team together because there's no like really real depth to that. 
you know, and some people say like, well, fake it until you make it fake this team culture. And, 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 and I also don't believe in that. Like I need to, I, I believe it needs to become internal. Um, so you see these kind of misconceptions within team building. And I loved what we talked about before is like how you building the bus or building your house and, and a good team has a strong foundation. And how do you create that is, well, a great leader for sure. Um, hiring good people with purpose and intention, having um, understanding, again, going back to values and, and your philosophy and creating that buy-in, but with some authenticity, right? Like being authentic in how you're building that. Um, understanding, I always tell people when we talk about team building, right? We have the iceberg, you see what's at the top. You see all these bells and whistles and beautiful things, but you have no idea the work and the grind of the individual or the life yeah. that they're living underneath that iceberg. And that goes with team perception, for a uh, team concept as well. Um, so non-judgment. Yeah, too, too often people are, are judging and, mm -hmm. and not trying to understand where people come from in their opinions. Or their actions. Yeah, or right. we, we sometimes are two yes people. You know, Malcolm Gladwell, I love that research where there's two, um, the pilots and the second pilot in command, when they learn to be able to challenge the first pilot, there's less errors. And I mean, we, there's lots of research. It's human factors. That's, that's like totally. the airline industry, 101, right? You know, Absolutely. I've always been able to speak up to captains and tell them there's a little bit too much ice on the wing. Yeah. As opposed to saying silent, because that's the captain. Exactly. And there was a hierarchy there back in the past. Exactly. And planes were crashing. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I think if you can create an environment that you're surrounded by people that are absolutely amazing, better than you in some aspects, um, well, most aspects, if you, can get, if you can really get a team where they're specific and better than you in all different areas, I think that also in sport makes the best coaches. And we fear that. Mm-hmm. As leaders, we fear that because, oh, that person's going to take off my job or they're going to be better and smarter than me. And going back to the ego, that's where that comes in. And truly the best teams and leaders have people that surround themselves with, with just better people. And I remember when I first coached U of T, I was 24. The athletes were 22 and under, very close in age. And for sure, I made lots of mistakes, and I and I grew as I was learning, beginner's mindset. Um, but I remember having that fear. I was the only female of forty-five male and female teams in Ontario, and I was the youngest. So you have these different life experiences that allow you to grow. And I remember sitting in the first meeting, and it was me, and. And all of these, these men, who are some of them my, my dearest friends still today. And um, I remember having that little bit of fear of hiring someone who's been in the field way longer than me because I was younger, even though I was still very confident. I knew I can do it. I wanted to do it. Um, but I remember feeling that way a little bit. And so looking back now, you know, I would have had a whole different hiring scheme. Right? And I think... Even that would allow me, even if they didn't have similar values, but I could learn from them and pull from them and make me even better. Oh, that's that's where the magic is. That's why Michael Jalbert in her last episode, mm -hmm. um, 
he, uh, he told a longer story of this, but you know, to summarize it, uh, if a leader's having a nice humble day and he rates himself a seven out of 10, and he's building a team, the team should be eight, nines, and tens. Or you're only gonna plateau where that seven is, you as a leader, and the team will never do any better than what you've done, yep. right? Yeah, I love that, yep. I love that. And truly understanding that as a leader, um, of surrounding yourself so it goes to a surround yourselves with with these exceptional human beings that again want to learn and grow but bring that cares me cares about me beyond life in the office or life as a team and those informal and informal check-ins are so important okay mark how's your how's your day going communication yeah. that little thing i remember working with a coach that i was mentoring not too long ago and we we're in that um, all the athletes were hanging out in kind of the cafeteria kind of area and I'm mentoring this this younger coach and we're walking by and I remember um, the coach was going to walk right by the cafeteria and I was immediately drawn to go say hi to our athletes so just in that moment I'm like ha ah, this is such a great learning moment so I took the, the coach in and I just sat and we had great conversations. How's school going? How's whatever? And then we had a conversation about it afterwards. If you had had that chance, what would you have done? Like, tell me more about that. And I think those little moments are so key in learning. Mm -hmm. But also, don't be afraid to give that feedback to people as a leader and help them grow as well. Yeah, amazing. Mm -hmm. I like in team building, I always like to refer to a team as a, as a parts on a bicycle, right? Mm -hmm. You have your tires, you have your rims, you have your spokes, you have your pedals, you have your seat, there's the frame, handlebars. The bike does not move forward unless everybody, all the parts are in the proper place doing their job. Yeah. Right? And, and knowing your role and being okay with that. Yeah. Right? Spokes are never going to touch the pavement. If they do, something's wrong. Yeah. And, and know where you're going. You're just going to be stagnant. So having that bigger vision... Um, is is so important for a team and everybody's kind of bought in for that vision. Now, you and I might have different reasons for it. You might have to support your family. I might I might just be so darn passionate about the people around me. Um, someone might want to grow a business. Someone might, you know, in, in a sport world, win the championship. Like, deep down, as long as people have their own passionate reasons to be successful within that team in that moment... And they're all looking forward. That that's where some magic can happen. Let's talk about loyalty. Mm -hmm. Building loyalty, creating yeah. loyalty. It's not it's not magic. It's not a secret recipe. Mm -hmm. it takes time. Loyalty, yeah. It's um. It's a big debate now in in the leadership world of of. Different generations, are they loyal? Are, are we we're losing that, that touch a bit? You know, our world, I will say our world is becoming a little more individualistic. Um, I'm in sport a lot, uh, especially in the, in the younger ages where, you know, we're getting eight-year-old fathers saying, I want to... Are we about to um, show our age and start saying, back in my day? <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse me, may I have a plan for my eight-year-old uh, uh, son for their athletic career? I mean, we're laughing, but this absolutely happens. No, I know. Right? So what are we creating from the bottom up is it's really all about that individual and their needs. 
And so I think um, we do need to develop more resilience and more understanding about team um, in this this amazing new awesome generation coming up. Um, but creating loyalty within a group is is interesting in itself. So the first thing that we need to know is in performance is everyone has different goals and aspirations. And I think if we can align them and understand them and communicate and be transparent, then there's going to be loyalty. I think the good people that are just starting out in a company or on a team, giving them responsibility that they deserve uh, and not having fear to do that, I think that keeps loyalty because you're honoring their hard work and their intellect or their, their work on the field, whatever it may be, we're honoring that, that, that component. And I think, well, doesn't everybody like that? And then depending on what stage we are in our own life, let's go kind of the, the older um, CEO or, or coach and talking about leaving a legacy a little bit. When we can understand that we can give back and that creates loyalty. Um, we still have goals and, and we have an aspiration to do something, but when we can count loyalty or accomplishment by giving back and helping people and leaving a legacy that way, um, I think that creates loyalty as well because you're interested in other people and their growth. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid that people leave you. No. No, I think it's right. someone goes on to spread their wings and, and take it to a different level after being nurtured mm-hmm. by the team you've created. I think it's a, the big, one of the biggest compliments yeah. right, one, to see them be successful. One of our longest coaches here in Canada, great friend, um, Steve Johnson, he also, all, often tells me one of his proudest things to see how many of assistant coaches are actually coaching against him right now. And yeah. Can't like to be able to end your career at some point and say that you've developed all these amazing people and professionals. um, That's part of who you are and the and the legacy that you were able to develop. So, that loyalty component is, yeah, being sustainability, durability, and adaptability in in that leadership and really being transparent in that communication. I like that. Yeah. Okay, last question. (laughs) And I already know this one's stressing you out. It is. And I need you to be honest here. Okay, okay. I'm going to try. Cape Bretoners are honest. Cape Bretoners are honest. What's your two favorite neighborhoods in Toronto? Two favorite neighborhoods in Toronto. One, Bennington Heights. Um, mainly because I play a lot of pickleball there. And I feel like you're the ambassador. I should, actually, I shouldn't even <laughs> state this because... I don't want too many people showing up there because uh, <laughs> I want it all to myself. I love pickleball. Um, yeah, so I think it's just a friendly, dog walking, more down to earth kind of feel um, for the city. And I like funky neighborhoods, like to explore. Like I like Queen East and I like Augustington West for like some shopping. I don't get to do it very often because of. Um, my, my, all the way downtown. My schedule, <laughs> yeah. But I'm also a big nerd, so I do... How long does it take you to get down there? Down there? Depends <laughs> if I'm walking. I'm just joking. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and like I, I'm like you know, I love my nerdy self, and so any like live music or jazz or messy hall, like those parts, I really appreciate of the city for sure. Great, yeah. and then your top two favorite restaurants uh, in Toronto. Well, there's a great little spot, um, Quanta Basta and Summer Hill. Oh, yeah. It's, it's my daughter's favorite spot. It's just a staple in the city, Kids right? Kids love to go to McDonald's. My daughter wants to go to Quanta Basta. Yeah. Six years old. <laughs> it's great. And and she orders the lamb. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Look at you. Good uh, Cape Breton, eh? Seriously. Wow. Um, but I also watch a lot of sport. So the good old local pub is fine by me. Have a good, uh, nice beer and a hockey game, and I'm a happy woman, too. I'll tell you a funny story before yeah. we go here. Um my wife, I drove home to Cape Breton. My wife uh, flew the kids home, and my sister and brother-in-law picked them up at the airport and gets them in the car. And my sister said, are you guys hungry? Should we go for lunch somewhere? And where would you want to go? And my daughter says, I would love some steak and lobster. <laughs> Six years old. Oh, she's in and the Noelle's, right place in Cape Breton. No, my sister Noelle says, you're getting Kenny's pizza. <laughs> Where can people find you? Where can people reach out to you if they um, want to touch base? Yeah, my. Um, you want to give out numbers or phone? Or yeah, no right phone now? numbers right now. <laughs> or okay, email okay. <laughs> uh, my website's there, uh, bethmcchurls.ca, and um, Instagram. We're 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 deciding. I'm still in between. If um, I'm in a, I'm in a social media world or I'm not. <laughs> I think you should be. You think? And I think you should call the guys a great media here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, online via Google My Name. Everything's there. And Instagram is uh, is there as well. And I post a little bit to uh, help the communities around us. And I'll put uh, your links to the site sounds, on the profile. Sounds good. Thanks, Beth. Really yeah. appreciate it. So good this seeing you. Yeah, awesome. Great. Thanks. Good? Yep, good. How long was that? We got 44 minutes. 44? Oh, That's we, it? I would have thought we went. I didn't skip over anything, did I? I don't think. <laughs>